that way. I'm going to ask you to take your copy of the scriptures, whether it be electronic or in paper form, or if you have a scroll, maybe even better, just kidding. Um, Whatever form you have it in, turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And this morning we're going to continue our series in the book of Acts, which we've entitled Missio Dei, which means mission of God. It's Latin for mission of God. And this morning, by the grace of God, we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 21. Um, Just uh, so you know, um, uh, it took, you know, you read through here, this is really Peter's sermon all the way through really the end of, uh, with some results of his uh, sermon through the end of chapter uh, 2. And you read down through here Peter's sermon, it may take you three minutes to read it, and you're thinking, man, it's going to take Brian three weeks to preach through it. He was longer than Peter. Well, remember, this is just a summary of what Peter said. This is not all that Peter said. We know later on in Acts that somebody fell asleep because they preached so long. So you ought to feel pretty good. All right? <clears throat> but uh, we are going to look here at these verses and, uh, and look at this chapter over the next few weeks. Uh, but the title of the message this morning is In the Last Days. And I'm going to read these verses all together here so we don't lose the flow of the narrative here in Acts. So beginning in verse 14, follow along with me as I read God's word for us this morning. But Peter, taking a stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, come asking you to do what you, only you can do through your word, that you would, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, open our hearts, open our minds, bring about change in our lives so that we could apply what we are learning this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you a question here this morning to begin our time. What would you do if you knew you were living in the last days? What would you do if you knew you were living in the last days? Maybe another way to to put this, and sometimes people are posed this question. What would you do if you knew you were going to die soon, like maybe this week? What would you do? Well, I I looked it up on the ever-inerrant internet. Uh never lives, right? But I looked this up and, and I just asked this question. You can always find these kind of things. But here's what some per- one person listed, the things they would do if they knew they were going to die soon. Visit my lost love and tell her how much I love her. Why did he lose her? I'm not sure. All right. Call all my friends and speak to them. Spend most of my time with my parents and brother. We'll talk a lot of memories and regrets and unsaid things. Uh, say my prayers. And then in, in parentheses it says hypocritical i know all right browse all my old emails pictures etc eat out to my heart's content all three meals would be different so that's what this particular person would do if they knew they were going to die soon but the question is a little bit different than that but similar what would you do if you knew that we were living in the last days i think that's a fair question that's a question we need to consider and here's another question are we in the last days Would you like to know if we're in the last days? Would you like to know this morning 
with 100% sure whether we are in the last days or we are not in the last days. Or the good thing this morning is that God through Peter is going to tell us whether or not we're in the last days. How about that? Right here at Grace Bible Church, you're going to hear it. Are we in the last days? Well, we're going to find out as we look at this passage this morning. And you might be surprised by the answer. So let's look here and turn our attention to Acts uh, two and, and I'm going to work down through these verses as I normally do and then near the end I'm going to give us uh, two exhortations to help us live out what God through Peter has to say about the last days here in this passage. So let's look again at the context. Let's set this, these, these verses here 14 through 21 in the proper context. Where have we been? Where are they, the, the people that are involved in this, Peter specifically who's speaking here, what has just gone on before Peter begins his sermon? Where the apostles and the 120 followers of Jesus are together. They're waiting in a house for the promised Holy Spirit. Jesus told them before he ascended to the Father that he would go wait in Jerusalem. So they, here they are. The, tw- the, the, the 12, there's, where's 11? We added Matthias. And then there's 120 more, it says, in this house. And they're waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And, and with perfect timing, on the day of Pentecost, uh, which was a feast that took place 50 days after the Passover... This is this particular, this year's Pentecost. 50 days after the Passover is also called, besides the, besides the Pentecost, uh, the Feast of Weeks, uh, the Day of First Fruits, and it was to celebrate the first fruits of harvest. Now, after the exile, so this is post-exilic, meaning when the nation of Israel would, had gone into exile, uh, the nation of Judah had gone into exile, after that, and they came back to the land, this also became the day that they marked to celebrate the giving of the law to Moses. It wasn't like that before the exile, but after. So at this time, they would have celebrated the giving of the law to Moses as well during this Pentecost, during this feast that people came from all over the world to Jerusalem to celebrate. And on this particular Pentecost, listen, this was just 49 days after Jesus rose, since Jesus rose on a Sunday, Passover is on a Saturday. So it's 49 days after Jesus rose again. On this particular one, the Holy Spirit came just like Jesus had promised. And he didn't come quietly, and he didn't come secretly. In fact, he came audibly. We were reminded that there was, it, there was a sound like a violent rushing wind. Remember, it wasn't a violent rushing wind. It was a sound like a violent rushing wind. But it was so loud that it shook, and in some ways, people from all over Jerusalem, people because people came toward this, later we'll see. And it was also not only audible, it was visible because tongues as of, fi- as of fire were up on, you can see them on, it rests on each one of these people, these 120 and the 12 apostles. Both of these things, the, the, like a rushing wind and the fire, was to signify that God was involved. Because you go to the Old Testament and wind and fire, when wind and fire show up, that means God is involved. He is moving in the situation. So that was what this signified. So the people were baptized, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other languages. Languages of all the Jewish people who had gathered from all over the, the world at that time to come for, for, to celebrate Pentecost. Right? And you have those listed in verses 9 through 11 of chapter 2. All those the, where they came from and all the different languages that went along with that. All of a sudden, these 120 and the 12 apostles began to speak in languages they had never studied before. And they spoke about the mighty deeds of God, it says in verse 11. Um, now, it, it, it's a, it, this was a miracle of speech, no doubt. And that's obvious from verses, verse 4. It says, speak with other tongues. Verse 6 says, speak in, in, in his own language, which the, the word language there is dialect. Verse 11, speaking. So there was a miracle there. And there was also a miracle of hearing. 
Uh, some people asked some questions this week about that. Yes, there was a miracle of hearing. You see in verse 6, it says hearing. Verse 8, they hear. Verse 11, they hear. These people were gathered in a large number, number at least 3,000, because we know at the end of chapter 2, 3,000 decide to follow Christ. There was probably more than that. A large gathering of people in the, near the temple. All right? And it wasn't like they said, okay, everybody who speaks Spanish, come over here. And everybody who speaks French, come over here. And everybody who speaks... English person wasn't around yet, but whatever it might be, right? And I don't know if Spanish and French were either, but whatever it was, the language, they didn't divide them up in the groups. They just began to proclaim the mighty deeds of God in languages they had never spoken before. And somehow the people spread out all over this vast area were able to hear in their own language. So there, yes, there was a miracle of speech, and there was also a miracle of hearing. The issue is that God was involved. And he was getting out his message about his mighty deeds to these people in a most miraculous way. Um, you know, and, and so you see this, um, and you have some different responses at the end of our time last week. You have some different responses. Some people are, are like, wow, that's amazing. What's going on? They ask questions. It seems that they have an inquisitive heart. What, what is this about? And other people are mocking and say, oh, they're drunk. That's the problem with them. They're drunk. That's why they're talking like this. That's what's going on. These people are just crazy. Well, um, the, uh, excuse me here. Let me start that back up. This first technical difficulty I've had here. I'll blame this on Jared since he encouraged me to um, use this. Sorry about that. Okay, I think we're back on now. All right, here we go. All right, well, hey, you know what? If I didn't have this, we could still go. All right? I might add some things I didn't plan, and I might leave out some things, and it may, be, it may all work out okay. But so, here's, so you have these diff, this different response. So now look with me what happens in verse 14. So here's where we are today. We've come to this point. There's a different response. To this, all these things are happening on this day of Pentecost. Look at verse 10, 14. But Peter, taking a stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. Now notice, of all the apostles, who stands up to bring clarity to the situation? Who is it? What's it say? Peter. This is Peter. Now remember, this is put your foot in your mouth, Peter, that is going to stand up and bring clarity to the situation. Of all of the apostles, I wouldn't have picked Peter. But God did. This is also the, the Peter that used his tongue to boast that if all fall away, Lord, if all of them fall away, not me. No way, not me. And what do we know about Peter? He denied the Lord three times with his tongue. The same Peter is the one who stands up to bring clarity to the situation on the day of Pentecost. Amazing. What happened to Peter that would make him be the one to stand up in the midst of the crowd and do this? Well, what, what happened to him? And, and not just any crowd. There's at least a portion of this crowd that's not real happy, you can see. They're mocking. They're making fun of. Probably some of them are angry. This is crazy. Get, get rid of this on our festival. You're ruining our festival. We came here to celebrate. And they're doing this crazy stuff. So he stands up in the midst of this crowd. crowd. Well, let me tell you what happened to Peter. He had seen the risen Christ. That's what happened to Peter. 
And, and we learn, and you study this, you learn from, from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5, and then Luke 24, 34, that Jesus appeared to Peter first. First, before the other, the, the other apostles. He is somehow a private meeting somehow. And it's very specific in those two passages. He appeared to Peter first. And he restores Peter. And we see a glimpse of that in, at the end of John when he does this. Well, not only had he seen the risen Christ and had this encounter with the risen Christ, he also now was indwelt by the Holy Spirit, as we saw last week. He had the presence of God living inside of him. And this had never happened in the history of the world, ever before. Never was a permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit in any person before now. There was temporary resting upon, infilling, empowering, all these things you see in the Old Testament, but never before until now because this was promised in the Old Testament this would happen. They would get a new spirit. They would get a new heart. And sure enough, that's what happened to Peter. And that's why he was able to stand before these people and proclaim the word of God. Um, I love what Derek Thomas says here about um, this passage. He says, God has brought this errant, backslidden, timid disciple, fearful disciple, and he's brought him back to a place of extraordinary usefulness and power. And oh, how the Lord will use Peter. If you want to take the book of Acts, just kind of in some ways divide it down the middle. The first part, the main character, the main character is always God, all right? But he uses Peter, and the second half is Paul. And it's amazing the things that he uses Peter for in, 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 in the early part of the church. But please don't miss what's being taught right here. Listen carefully. No matter how you failed, no matter what, how great you think your sins are, the Lord can and will use you greatly. Don't miss that here. God forgives and he makes all things new. If he didn't, we're all disqualified. No one can speak for the Lord. If he didn't forgive and make all things new. And if God can use Peter, he can use you and he can use me. And that gives me hope. Because I'm surely no Peter. Let's now think for a moment what it was that Peter did here. Something had just happened that had never happened before in the history of the world. Not only was the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but now you have people speaking in, in languages they had never spoken before. That had never happened in the history of the world. The Holy Spirit came, he indwelt them, and empowered them to do this. This is an amazing thing that has happened, and a lot of people have witnessed this happen. We already mentioned that Peter is going to bring clarity to the situation, but how does he do this? How does he do this? In, the midst of, in, some, in some ways, people would say chaos. Uh, definitely people don't understand what's going on and how is he going to do this well notice what it says in the rest, rest of verse 14 beginning or just go be, the beginning of verse 14 again but Peter taking a stand with the eleven raised his voice and declared notice the word there declared some translations say said some say addressed uh, one translation says proclaimed this is the word used for the proclamation of divine message right this word declared Yours may say said or proclaimed, but the word is used for a proclamation, an announcement of a divine message. The first thing that happened in the history of the church after the giving of the Holy Spirit, listen, was this, was the preaching of the word of God. And you're thinking, yeah, you're going you're to rest on this a little bit. That's what you do, right? You're going to justify your existence. No, I'm just going to tell you what the word of God says. The very first thing after the giving of the Holy Spirit that happens, the first event in a sense in the church was the preaching, the proclaiming of the word of God. 
I don't want us to miss this either. Notice here that after these events at Pentecost, the first thing that happened was not a survey of what everyone thought. It wasn't a seminar how to do this or that. And it wasn't a drama or a small group meeting where everyone talks about how they feel. Or everybody, what they, everybody what, says what they think about, what, the, what they think the passage means. If you're in a Bible study, get out. Because it really doesn't matter what we think the passage means. It matters what does a passage mean. Somebody's got to bring clarity to the situation. And we got, I'm not saying in our church, but we've got too many people out there. Let's get together. What do you think? What do you think? Well, what does it mean? Somebody tell me what it means. And Peter's getting ready to say, I'm going to tell you what it means. He's going to proclaim. He's going to say, thus says the Lord. We need that in our world today. We need it in the church today. We don't need a... I'm not... I'm not go ahead and apologize for what Mary say. Up front. But let me say, we don't need to pool our ignorance to find out what God says. Let's ask God what he says. And not say what we think he says. I'm going to look excited here. You mentioned they came to the wrong church this morning. I'm kidding. All right, well. Now, all these things, all those things I mentioned, small groups, drama, uh, surveys even, uh, seminars, all those things are good in their place. Please hear me say that too. Those aren't bad. Those aren't evil. God can use those things. But they're not the priority in the ministry of the church. They are not. That's not what happened. It's not even close to what happened. You go, well, there's some small groups to get together in Acts. There are, but it's on the basis of the priority of the preaching of the word they get together. What happened here was a clear, bold proclamation of the word of God. It was preaching. And the priority of preaching is stressed all over, over and over and over in the book of Acts. Let me just give you a few chapters. Chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 11, chapter 14, chapter 15, chapter 16, chapter 17, chapter 20, chapter 28. All the preaching, recorded preaching of the Word of God. I mean, I'm not real smart. But when it repeats that over and over again through a book, it might be important. And I think that's one thing that, that, that is being stressed in the book of Acts and in the New Testament. Preaching was also how Jesus began his public ministry. Don't forget this. In, in, in Matthew 4.17, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He began to proclaim what truth was. He proclaimed. He preached. As I mentioned before, there, there are other things that can be used uh, to evangelize and build up the body of Christ, but none of them is stressed in the New Testament like the Spirit-empowered proclamation of the Word of God. None of them. The weekly preaching of the Word of God on Sunday mornings sets the tone and foundation for every other ministry in the local church. Weak preaching means weak ministry. Uh, it does. You can go find weak preaching, you'll have weak ministry. It sets the tone. If the word of God is not proclaimed with clarity and, clarity and boldness from the pulpit, it will not be lived out in the lives and ministry of those in the pew. That's just true. That's what the scripture teaches. Our, our life groups, our, our small group Bible studies, one-on-one -on -one meetings, children's ministry, student ministry, missions, take their cue from the weak preaching of the word of God. If we don't on Sunday mornings, whether it's me or Jared or somebody else, stand up here and says, Thus said the Lord, this is what the Word of God teaches. There's no foundation for any other ministry. There's no power for the ministries. Because we don't model that we believe in the inerrant and sufficient Word of God every single Sunday, then the way that we minister will have no power. Because we won't believe it throughout the week. And, and, I, and I have confidence in this church. Here's how much confidence. If I ever quit doing that, I would be fired. Wouldn't I, Greg, Tyler? I'd be out of here in a second. I'd fire myself. 
Because I wouldn't be doing what God called me to do or whoever stands here and proclaims the word of God. It must happen. On Paul's deathbed, he could have said many things to Timothy regarding the priority of the local church and what was to happen. But look what he said at the end of his life. From 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. This is, the, this is Paul's last recorded letter. He is dying. We see later in chapter 4. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Whoa. I'm not going to break down this whole passage, but that, that, is, that is sobering. I'm charging you before God, Timothy, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with great patience and instruction. Preaching the word of God is a priority in the New Testament. In fact, it was the first thing that happened in the church after the indwelling of the Holy Spirit came. Let's not miss that. And that's why it's here. Here at Grace, it's a priority too. Because it's a priority in the scriptures. All right. That's a sermon before the sermon. All right. But I think we don't want to miss it. And you're going to see it all through the book of Acts. The, po- the power of the proclamation of the Spirit empowered proclamation of the word of God. So let's look here closely at, Paul, at, at Peter's proclamation, his sermon uh, that takes place here in Acts 2. Uh, based on what just happened again and again in the Holy Spirit and, and, and all that followed, look what Peter uh, says here in verses 14 and 15. He says, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it's only the third hour of the day. Peter says, let me tell you what's really going on here. First of all, he says, they're not drunk. It's only 9 a.m. People aren't drunk at 9 a.m. They're still sleeping in from the night before if they're a drunkard. All right? Second of all, it's a feast time. And of all places, times, you would not get drunk. It would never be on a feast day. You would make sure you weren't drunk or drinking too much on a feast day. And especially at 9 a.m. He almost laughs at this. They're scoffing, and he almost scoffs back. Are you kidding me? Give me a break. It's 9 a.m. No one's drunk here. All right? And, 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 and now he explains to them what really happened. All right? What's really going on. Verse 16, he says, But, it, but this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. The, the King James says, And this is that. That's what it says. And in fact, there's an old, old, old preacher who actually entitled his sermon. This is that. This that I'm going to say, what Joel's going to say, this is that. He's pointing back to what just happened. Here's an explanation. This is that. Maybe I should have titled my message that too, but I didn't want to copy. All right. Um, So Peter quotes Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. Peter goes to the scripture, the word of God, to explain what is happening around them. And so should we. The word interprets the world, not the other way around. And all too often, we're listening to the world to tell us what the word means. You know, since God created the word, world, and he, this is his word, I think I'm going to listen to God. And that's what he does. He interprets what happened by the word of God. Peter takes the Jews to one of the prophets raised up by God to speak to the Jewish nation. And notice what happens in verse, uh, the first phrase in verse 17. And it shall be in the last days. Here we go. I'm going to answer your question right now. When do the last days begin? All right, let's look at Scripture. And I could go to many more, and we don't have time this morning. Look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions, in many ways, in these last days, 
in these last days, the writer of Hebrews is saying, in these last days, presently, these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. The last days began with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, his first coming. The last days. Let me go ahead and prove that a couple other places. In First, uh, uh, first Peter one twenty, maybe you're from Missouri. You don't want me to show you, so I will show you, right? For he is foreknown before the foundation of the world. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. Then in 1 Corinthians, and, and, and you know, these are only three. I could show you 30, but we don't have time. 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have come. Upon whom, the whom is who Paul is writing to in the church of Corinth. The end of the ages has come. It's now. We are in the last days. Right now, we are in the last days. Because Jesus has already come. And He will come again. We're in a time between the two comings of Jesus. We're in a time between the incarnation of Jesus, when He came and perfect God took on man... All right, became perfect, the perfect God, man, the incarnation. And between that time, the first coming, and the second coming, when he will come and judge the living and the dead. So we're in that time. We don't know how long that time's going to be. But there's that time. That's where we are. We're in the last days. So what happened on this day of Pentecost? What, what, what Peter was saying, what happened was a reminder to the people that they were living in the last days. He's trying to remind him, you're in the last days. And what does Peter point to as proof that they're in the last days? Well, he points to, to what God said through Joel. Look at verses 17 through 18. Um, specifically with where it begins with God says. God says that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams even on my bond slaves both men and women I will in those last days pour forth of my spirit and they shall all prophesy Peter is saying what God prophesies through Joel is the explanation of what the people just witnessed of the 120 people and the apostles of Jesus who had just spoken in languages they had never spoken before speaking of the mighty deeds of God he's saying this is that. Alright? This is that. What is happening here is this is God promise, the promise of God pouring out His Spirit on mankind. And it's important to understand that the act of prophesying can both be foretelling and foretelling. What do I mean by that? Foretelling is where you, you, you speak of what God has done Maybe what he is doing. That's foretelling. So it's proclaiming. And there's also this avenue, the aspect of prophecy that's foretelling. You tell something that's going to happen. All right? Both of those fall under this, 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 the word prophecy. Context kind of dictates which one it's speaking of when you're reading through the scriptures. Uh, in the book of Acts, most of what is recorded is people proclaiming what God has done and is doing. That's mostly when the word the prophecy, you see, it, sometimes even, it's even translated proclaiming. Um, that, that's what's happening. And occasionally, people are telling what God will do. And we'll, we'll see that as we work through the book of Acts. But our immediate context here in Acts 2 points to what has just gone on. What just happened? That, that's what he's saying. This is that. 
What, what Joel says is what just happened. So what, is, what just happened? Joel mentioned specifically that God, the Holy Spirit, came upon these 120 people and the apostles to proclaim in language they had never spoken the mighty deeds of God, as it says there in verse 11. That's what happened. They were foretelling the mighty deeds of God in a most miraculous way, no doubt. That's what was happening. They were, they were prophesying. They were telling people about God. And Joel mentioned some other things as well, which Peter does not address. He doesn't speak specifically of these other things that he quotes from Joel. He focuses on the proclaiming aspect of what has just happened at Pentecost. Now, as you read through the book of Acts, there are a couple times when the dreams or visions come to a couple of the apostles to tell them to go here or there. We, we'll see that. I'm not trying to hide that. But the, the main thing here, all right, is that he, he, he is pointing to is prophecy. Because look at the end of verse 18. Look there, it says, and they shall prophesy. Now, is that in the same font in your Bible as what was before it just now? Some of, them, some of you see, yeah, it is. Well, here's why. It's because Peter's adding his commentary. That's not in Joel. If you go read it, you don't see the second, and they will prophesy, all right, or they shall prophesy in Joel. You know, he's adding to Scripture. No, he's explaining Scripture. He's saying the main point here is that they're prophesying, that they're telling the mighty deeds of God. This is, this is, an, this is a, a clear fulfillment of what just happened, Joel's prophecy. What just happened is a clear fulfillment of that. And, and he, stress, he stresses that this outpouring of the Holy Spirit will not be reserved just, for, any, just for, for a certain type of person, but on all God's people who follow him. Look what it says. It, 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 it says, um, young men, old men, bond slaves, bond slaves, men and women, everyone can have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit living in them. That's what just happened with these 100, and, we'll see, I said 132 people that are there. Peter says that these things happening point to the fact that we are in the last days. Now look at verses 19 to 21, which are the rest of Joel's prophecy um, that Peter quotes. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come, and it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let me ask the question, did these things that I just read, verses 19 through 20 specifically, happen on the day of Pentecost? We don't see it recorded here. It's not mentioned anyplace else in the New Testament that these things happened on the day of Pentecost. So I think that uh, if they would have happened, Luke, inspired by God the Holy Spirit, would have recorded them so that we could see them. That this did happen. It didn't happen on the day of Pentecost. These things are pointing to the second coming of Jesus. Alright? You had the first coming of Jesus. You had the sending of the Holy Spirit, which we have, was prophesied in Joel and other places, in, 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 which looked at in Jeremiah and Ezekiel as well. Um, we see happened here on the day of Pentecost. And now you have, he's looking further. So there's a partial fulfillment of this entire prophecy. And, and we don't have time to go to all these places in the Old Testament. But there's lots of pro prophecies that are not all of a sudden fulfilled like that. They're fulfilled like this. In time. So this is a partial fulfillment. What we read here it has not happened yet. It's about the second coming of Jesus. Joel speaks, li listen to this, of blood, fire, and smoke. And that'd make a good movie, wouldn't it? Blood, fire, and smoke. There's a lot of movies out there like that. But this is going to be more than a movie. This won't be pretend. This will be real. Notice what God speaks to, through John in the book of Revelation about the second coming of Jesus. Look at Revelation 8, 7 through 8. 
The first sounded, and there came hail and fire mixed with, what does it say? Blood. And they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was, what does it say? Burned up. That's fire. And a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. Okay? Now, I'm going to show you three passages. In Revelation, there's about 20 that include fire and blood and smoke. All right, I'm just going to show you three. Revelation 14.20 says this, And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood came out from the winepress up to the horse's bridles for a distance of 200 miles. Will there be blood? Whoa. There will be blood. And this is talking about the second coming of Jesus. Revelation 9.2-3, He opened the bottomless pit, and what came out? Smoke out of the pit, like the smoke of a great furnace in the sun, and the air was darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke, can you say smoke enough, all right, came locusts upon the earth, and power was given them as the scorpions of the earth have power. Joel's prophecy also mentions not only this fire and blood and smoke, but it also mentions, look what he, we saw this, sun and moon. It says that the, 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 the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. Jesus speaks about these things in Matthew 24 about his second coming. Now, Jesus is saying this. You say, you know, John may have not heard right in Revelation. So we need to go to Jesus. Fine, we'll go to Jesus. He makes it even more clear. Matthew 24, 29 through 30. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Joel says that these things will take place before the great and glorious... Some translations, this is back in, in Acts, but it's quoted from Joel. The great and glorious or awesome or magnificent day of the, the Lord. Now, you think glorious day? Who? I can't wait for that one. Well, oh, you can wait for this one. It's not glorious like you're thinking. Awesome may be better or terrible day of the Lord might be even better. It's awesome and it's glorious in this sense that God will show that he's who he said he was. That he reigns. And every knee, every tongue, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord. That's what's going to happen. That's what's going to be glorious. But it's not going to be glorious necessarily for those who don't know Christ. It's going to be a terrible day. And in Joel 3, right after this prophecy in Joel, the next 15 verses in Joel 3 are about the judgment of God on the earth. That he's going to bring judgment, a final judgment. Jesus says that his second coming will be about judgment. And obviously the first part of this prophecy has taken place again at the day of Pentecost and the second one is to come. What is Peter trying to get across to these people by quoting Joel and saying we're in the midst of the last days promised by God through Joel? What's he trying to get across? Well, when Joel prophesied, there had been a terrible locust plague that had come on the nation of Israel because of their disobedience. So God used this terrible locust plague to bring about discipline on his people to wake them up. Then he calls in earlier in chapter 2 of Joel for the people to turn like three different times. Turn back to the Lord. Repent. The next verse, repent. The next verse, repent, turn. Why? Because there's coming a day that won't be fun for those who don't turn to the Lord, who don't call on the name of the Lord. And Joel was obviously calling these people to repent, and we see that in the rest of this quote in verse 21 of, ch of chapter 2 of Acts. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Joel says that salvation from God's judgment will come to those who call on the name of the Lord. 
And this is such a fun message to preach, isn't it? Great. Judgment. But it's true. If we ever shirk this part of Scripture, we're shirking the glory of God. We're backing off from what God's Word says. It's so beautiful. Because we don't know about this. We don't know how wonderful His grace is. Don't give me love until you tell me why I need love. Don't give me grace until you tell me why I need grace. Don't give me mercy until you tell me why I need mercy. And then when I know, oh my goodness, His love and grace and mercy are far greater than I ever could have imagined. I'm overwhelmed by that. I love what J.I. Packer talks about grace in his book called Knowing God. He says, some people, once they come to understand what grace means, they never get over it. And I've never gotten over it. I've never gotten over His grace. But I appreciate His grace. You'll appreciate His grace more as we look at the, the, the fact that there is a judgment coming. And that's what he's trying to get across to these people. That's what he wants us to understand as we read it now. We read about this terrible judgment. And I want, I want to, I'm just going to read through this passage. You can follow along with me. It's in, actually in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. If you want to just listen, that's fine too. Uh, just remind us that um, in the Old Testament, not everybody had a copy of the Word of God. In the New Testament, they didn't either. They listened a lot. The people read the word of God. So it's okay to listen, but you can follow along too. Look at verses 11 through 15 of Revelation 20. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead. This is those who have rejected. They haven't called on the name of the Lord. They rejected the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lord. The great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the book according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. It's real. It's real. And it's coming. We're in the last days. I don't know when it's coming. But we're in the last days. It's coming. The only way to be saved from this judgment is to do what Joel and Peter say, is to call on the name of the Lord. Now, in the rest of Acts 2, next week we're going to look, who is the Lord? He's going to answer that question, who is the Lord? And after that, he's going to talk about what does it mean to call on the name of the Lord. Isn't it wonderful? He gives us an outline right here. Who is the Lord? And what does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? And we'll see that over the next few weeks. But just in short, Jesus is Lord. That's what he's going to say. And he's going to, here's what it means to call on the name of the Lord. Repent and believe. Turn from trusting in yourself to make yourself right with God. And turn and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That's what it means to call on the name of the Lord. And we'll see that in more detail in the next couple, couple weeks. So what if you're here this morning, and I ask that question. What if you were living in the last days? What if you knew you were living in the last days? What would you do? Well, it's obvious from God's word this morning that we're living in the last days. So not what would you do, what are you doing? What should you do? What will you do? That's the question that must be answered. For those who, are, those who are not followers of Jesus this morning, the time is now for you to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. The time is now. There's an urgency in this passage. That's why I'm preaching with such urgency because that's what, how it's meant to be preached. That's the truth. 
There's an urgency. You need to understand that God created this world. And His purpose for you and me, for all of His creation, was to bring Him glory. To make much of Him. And He deserves that because He created the world. He's perfect. If we make much of Him, we ultimately live out what we're designed to do. Is to make much of God to glorify Him. But here's man's problem. That's God's purpose. Man's problem is this. We've sinned. The Bible says we've fallen short of the glory of God. We don't make much of Him. We make much of us. And if you're honest, you've got to say, yo, yeah, that's me. I make, make, make way too much of myself. We've sinned. We fall short of the glory of God. It says the wages of sin, this is man's problem, is death. Eternal separation from God forever in a place called the lake of fire, as we just read. Well, God has a provision too. He sent Jesus, who was risen from the dead, which we're getting ready to celebrate next week. He died for our sins. He rose again to conquer sin and death. And those who would trust in his payment for their sin would be made right with God. They would be forgiven. They would be given a new heart. The Spirit would indwell them, and they'd be called sons and daughters of God. God's provision. We have a response to that. And Peter just called us to call on the name of the Lord, which he'll explain. It means to turn from trusting in yourself, turn from the deceitfulness of sin, and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and make you right with God. So the first admonition, the first exhortation, is the time is now for you to call on the name of the Lord to be saved if you're not. Secondly, for those who are followers of Jesus this morning, the time is now for you to urgently exhort people to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. The time is now for you urgently to exhort people to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Are we doing this? Are you doing this? What are you doing intentionally with your time to call on people to call on the name of the Lord to be saved? What are you intentionally doing with your family? What are you intentionally doing with your friends and your co-workers and your classmates? And your neighbors. What are you doing to intentionally, intentionally and with urgency, exhort them to call on the name of the Lord and be saved? Let me give you some ideas. Have people over for dinner. Take them to lunch. Food's always good. Alright? And just talk. As we, talk, we talk over food, don't we? Yeah. We talk over food. So talk about the Lord Jesus. If they don't know Him, call them urgently. To call on his name. Invite them to meet you one-on-one for six weeks to study the book of Mark. Give them some time to think about this. But urgently schedule that time. Hey, let's start meeting next Tuesday. You'd be surprised how many people will do that. Oh, they'd never... You'd be surprised how many people will do that. That don't know the Lord. Give them a Bible. Here's one. Give them a track. Oh, we don't do tracks anymore. That's so 70s. And I know lots of people who came to know the Lord because somebody gave them a track. Lots of people. But it may not be my style. That's okay. Do something. If you want to give tracts, give tracts. If they're good ones, share the gospel. Ask them how you can pray for them. Ask them how you can pray for them. I've told this story before, but John and I, when I, we were celebrating our 15th anniversary out in Colorado, we went down to a little um, uh, restaurant in this little town, and we were kind of early, and probably 4.30, and there's only like two other people in the restaurant. The waitress comes over, and we do what we, often we do is we ask her how we can pray for her how can we pray for you today? And she looked at us real, oh my goodness, and she thought for a second, she goes, well you can pray that I'll find the meaning of life. So we'll pray that. And she walked off and she came back to bring us salad or something like that. I said, hey, you know what, I've got an answer. 
for you. What do you mean? It's like she, I'd heard from God or something, you know. And I got a chance to share the gospel with this young lady. She sat there and just listened and listened. I've never heard that in my life before in the United States. And she wasn't, she didn't come from somebody's children. She was like from the area. She never heard that. You never know what opportunities God might give you. But you have to intentionally, with urgency, exhort people to call the name of the Lord and be saved. Remember, this is what we are called to do, and God has given us the Holy Spirit to accomplish it. Look at this. This is what Acts is all about. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. We are in the last days. Will we be used of God to point people to Jesus so they will escape the judgment to come and have forgiveness and new life in him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Uh, thank you for the clarity of it. Lord, thank you for the urgency of it. Lord, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that we, we would live with urgency, that we would be your witnesses right here in, in our own community um, first and then beyond in our state and in our country and in the world. Lord, help us be your witnesses by the power of the Holy Spirit and exhort people to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.